Welcome to Practical Christian Living. If God's desire is for us to have harmony in our fellowship, if Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples by how well the church is run. Wait a minute, that's not what he said. He said, they will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. So it's not that when they walk into church, everything is clicking just the way it's supposed to be. Runs really smooth, right? But instead, it's we love one another. Every church is going to have some problems, right? Some conflicts and divisions. But how we handle those problems define whether we are truly disciples of Christ. In James chapter 3, James describes the type of wisdom we need to have as meek people. That is, wisdom that is willing to yield and be gentle and always looking to make peace. With part two of our message on heavenly versus worldly wisdom out of James 3, 13 through 18, here's Robert Furrow. Please stay with us. Meekness is a person that puts other people's interests above their interests. Meekness is a person that says, I don't have a dog in the fight. I'm not doing this for me. I'm not doing this out of selfish ambition. I'm not doing this to try to gain something for me. I'm doing this because God's called me to do it. And I'm walking in meekness as a servant. How much better would our churches be if everybody in the church, from those that are attending to those that are preaching, if everybody would be meek in their conduct, would be saying, it's not about me. It's not about what I get out of it. It's not about that person's being used and I should be used like that person. Or how come my church isn't as big as that person's church? Or, or how come God used them? I'm better than them. In reality, you might be. But that's not how God works. That's the way the world works. The world works by choosing the most qualified person, putting them into a position, and then putting another qualified person in that position. And the most qualified person should get into that position. That's worldly wisdom. God says, I don't do things that way. I take a person and I fill them with the Spirit. I call them, I place them, and I fill them with the Spirit. So if you ever feel like, I think I could do better than him, yeah, you might be able to. But you're not called and you're not filled with the Spirit. And it's the Spirit that's doing it. And the Spirit can do it so much better. And so if you're wise, and if you're understanding, then you're going to have some meekness. And if you're causing dissension in a body, if you've caused a church split, if you've gotten a group of people behind you to stir the pot up and you've stolen people's harmony and you've stolen the one accord atmosphere that God wants to have in a fellowship, then you're not walking in meekness. Meekness is an individual that says, I want to serve and I want to come alongside and I want to help. Now he goes on to say here, and he gives two different kinds of wisdom, worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. Worldly wisdom is that wisdom that says, this is the way things should be run. But you do realize that God doesn't do things the way the world does things. You realize that God's ways are as high above this earth as the heavens are above the earth and that God does things with a dichotomy. That's why... There's a recent church growth book about getting the right person into the right spot in the church. Then you have success as a church. No, that's business management. That's business management 101. You're running a business, you want to get the right people in the right spots. When you're running a church, you want to get the person called and gifted, not necessarily the person that has the exact skills that you need for that set. In fact, sometimes it's they don't have those skills at all. 
but they have the gifting and they have the calling of God. God does things his way. And so he says in verse 14, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking, he starts by saying this worldly wisdom has bitter envy and self-seeking. It just doesn't just have jealousy. It doesn't just have envy. It has bitter envy. It wants what the other person has. Why am I not being used? Why am I not recognized? Why are they being recognized? Why do people in the church know who they are? Why do they get to have a home fellowship? How come he's running the men's ministry? How come she is? I'm supposed to be the one that runs it, not her. That's the envy. And it's not just envy, it's bitter envy. And, and this worldly wisdom is not only envious, but it's self-seeking. Why isn't it me? I should be the one. It's all about me, self-seeking. Look at verse 14 again. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Don't say, I'm a really spiritual person and I should be there. Hey, you're lying and you're boasting against the truth. The reality is, is that you're ambitious. Now, this accusation that you're ambitious, well, the, the disciples were ambitious, right? The disciples were all constantly arguing over who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. James and John were so ambitious that they got their mommy to go ask Jesus if they could sit in their right and left hand in the kingdom. And Jesus constantly said, you want to be great in the kingdom of God, then learn to be the servant of all, which is another way of saying be meek. You want to be a leader, then be meek. Learn to be the servant of all, if that's the case. He says this wisdom, this worldly wisdom that is self-seeking and has bitter envy does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. It is earthly because it's in the earthly realm. It's the way people run businesses and people who run churches like they run businesses are making huge mistakes. It's sensual, not in the sense of sexual, but in the sense of it's, it's taste, it's touch, it's feel. It's all by what you see, hear, and smell. Those are the decisions you're making. That's the, the earthly wisdom. And that's not the way God runs things. It's earthly, it's sensual, and it's demonic. Why is it demonic? Because Satan wanted to exalt his throne above the throne of God. Because Satan was so spectacular as a creation of God, probably one of the three archangels, Michael and Gabriel being the other two, that he looked at himself and he said, I'm as good as God. And we say, how could he ever think that? How ridiculous. Even more ridiculous that people say I'm as good as God. And how many people say that? If you don't, you say, well, I don't think people say they're as good as God. Really? You ever been in a university? A lot of world religions, I'm God. I'm God and God is me. It's earthly, it's sensual, it's demonic. Well, if God's desire is for us to have harmony in our fellowship, if Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples by how well the church is run. Oh, wait a minute, that's not what he said. He said, they will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. So it's not that when they walk into church, everything is clicking just the way it's supposed to be. Runs really smooth, right? But instead, it's we love one another. We care for one another. When there's strife and there's, there's things that are taking place and dissensions, we're able to handle them and take care of them because we're meek. Look, you get two meek people into a room with two dogs in a fight, and they're going to work it out. 
I love when Paul writes, and I forget what book it's in. It's in Galatians or it's, I think it's in Galatians. No, it's not. It's in Colossians. No, it's not. It's in one of those books in the Bible. And Paul says, tell this lady and that lady to work it out. He actually literally says this, tell this lady and that lady to get along. That's how he solves the problem. He says, just tell them to get along. But if they're both meek, then they would be able to get together and get along because a meek person can work it out. Earthly wisdom doesn't do that because it's self-seeking, because it's envious, because it wants to exalt itself, because it's earthly, it's sensual, it's demonic. It says, for where envy, verse 16, and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. That's what happens to our churches. When we allow people who are self-seeking and have worldly wisdom into areas of leadership, that's what happens in our churches when people who are attending are prideful and look around and say, I think I could straighten this thing out by the worldly wisdom that I have. When I was 14 years old, a mentor of mine, a guy kind of took me under his wing and taught me how to study the Bible. It's interesting today, his name is Bill Hubbard and it's in, he's, a, he's a police officer in, in Albuquerque, New Mexico now. It's interesting that both of us are in Calvary chapels. We were both in Methodist churches then. He was going to Oral Roberts University and he was in the Methodist church. I was in the Methodist church. He taught me how to approach the Bible and he did that by teaching me 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which is how to use tongues in church. Few things I learned about tongues through that Bible study. I learned that tongues are always magnification, worship. So that when one person talks in tongues and you hear in a church, thus saith the Lord, God loves you and cares about you. That's not the interpretation of the tongues because the tongues is magnification. Acts chapter two, how come we hear them in our own language magnifying God? Acts chapter 10, and Peter said, and I heard them speaking in tongues, praising and magnifying God. First Corinthians 14, if you speak in tongues, you do well magnifying God. It's about lifting him up. And then he says, and if you all come together in one place and speak in tongues, then people are gonna think you're crazy. So instead speak to yourself and to God. And at the most, let it be two or three and always by an interpreter. I also learned that if there's a tongue and there's an interpretation, that's for the non-believer. So the non-believer among you, when it's in order and there's a tongue that's given and he goes, what is that? And then there's an interpretation. There's something that takes place inside of him that he identifies this place is from God. It's for the non-believer. That's what it says. Now, I leave the Methodist church and I go to the most bizarre charismatic church you could ever imagine. You had to step over people to walk into that church and I'm not even kidding. There was a woman pastor and she would wave her hand and knock the whole body down. Not just one person was slain in the spirit. We would do this thing called birthing of the spirit where they would have the Jaws theme for like 10 minutes. And then everybody would start grunting and groaning and grunting and groaning until they sounded like they were having a baby and we were birthing the spirit. Whatever that was, we were birthing the spirit. And everybody talked in tongues. Everybody sung in tongues. Everybody laid hands on people and prayed in tongues. And I told them from the first day I walked into the church and I met somebody, you guys aren't starting doing this right. You guys aren't doing this. They also believed that Christians could be demon possessed and they tried to cast the demon of rock and roll out of Lisa. <laughs> Didn't really work. And they tried to cast the demon of false doctrine out of me because I was telling them, you guys aren't using the gift of tongues properly. So we go to Denny's after a Wednesday night service. And I sit down with this girl across. I tell her, you know what? This church isn't using tongues right. And so we have this sword fight. I get my Bible out. She gets her Bible out. And we start going over 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now, I, didn't, I knew Lisa, met her, 
liked her. I thought she was pretty. <laughs> and I wanted to get to know her better. But she got up and left the table. Later on, she told me, I literally got sick to my stomach. You made me want to throw up. It's not a good thing when you want to date a girl and you make her throw up. In fact, I was probably trying to impress her, truth be known. Let me show you how much of the Bible I know. Afterwards, I have this, this spiritual sword fight with this girl in Denny's. And afterwards, I, I got to my car and an older gentleman comes up. <laughs> now I say older. Remember, I'm like at this point 20. So he's probably 30. And he comes up and he says, um, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? He says, I just want to say to you that I think you're right about what 1 Corinthians 14 says. But then he said, but you couldn't be more wrong in what you did in there today. And he got his Bible and he went to 1 Timothy where it says, the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle, able to teach in, in humility, correcting those that are in opposition. It was like God grabbed me by the collar of my shirt and shook me when I suddenly realized that I was wrong. I was right, but I was wrong in the way that I had done it. And up to that point, I loved to fight. I loved to pick fights with people and realized that's not walking in the spirit. I'm actually in the flesh when I'm taking these scriptures and trying to, to point out to people how wrong there are. And where there's that, what does it say in verse 16 again? For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing is there. That's what happens to our churches. There's confusion. There's every evil thing that is there and we're not doing what God's called us to do. But the wisdom that is from above. Now, Job 28 says that only God knows where to get wisdom. Earlier in the book, he had said, if you lack wisdom, ask of God who gives to all men liberally. And we, we need to ask for wisdom and we need it. And God gives it. But if you've been given this wisdom that is from above, then here's the, the characteristics of that wisdom. You ready for this? For the wisdom that is from above is first pure, meaning it's without hypocrisy. It's not self-seeking. It doesn't have its own agenda. The wisdom that is from above looks and says, you know what? There, there's a correction that needs to be made in this church. How can I approach the leadership in a way that they'll listen? If you go to the leadership and say, you guys are wrong, chances are you're going to run into somebody who's insecure. You're probably not going to get it done. But if you're not looking for position, if you're humble, if you're meek, if you're putting other people's interests above your own, and you go to someone and say, you know, I, I don't want to challenge you guys or anything, but I'm just wondering if this is the right way to do it. Could this be, could this be wrong, what you guys are doing? I'm just wondering. Or maybe, you know, I believe that you guys aren't doing this right. By simply saying, I believe, you're saying, look, I, I don't know that I'm right, but I believe it's, you could be doing this wrong. And I'll tell you what, you'll be able to get a lot more things worked out if you approach with a pure heart, not wanting to gain something, not wanting to tear someone down. A lot of times when someone goes to that person, by the time they've gone to them, there's been bickering and backbiting. They've been tearing them down. They're not the first person they go to. And if you don't go to that person first of all, then you're probably not gonna have success because they probably already heard that you went around talking about them and now they're really on edge and they're really defensive. But the person that has the wisdom of God, it's pure. You haven't gone around and tore them down. You haven't been tearing them down to other people. And now when you go, you're able to, 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 to give it and probably able to be a lot more effective. Secondly, it's peaceable. <laughs> but the wisdom that is from above is first pure and then peaceable. 
It's not going picking a fight. You're not looking to pick a fight. You're wanting to see peace. You're wanting to see things done the best way that they possibly can be. And so you approach and you're peaceable and you look to make peace. And when someone gets a little upset or a little defensive, you say, no, no, you're getting me wrong. I don't want to tear you down. I, don't want to tear, I just want things to, to be done right. And I'm wondering if it is. That's all. Really. You're humble. You're approaching in a way that you can probably get things done. I can tell you from experience that when someone walks up and says, God told me you're wrong. Probably not going to listen to that guy. God told me you're supposed to do things this way. Really? Because God hadn't told me. See you later. Bye-bye. <laughs> but if someone comes and says, I believe God told me, I'm much more apt to listen. And if you guys have ever done that, and people have done that, where they've come up and they've said, you know, I was praying and I believe that God told me this about the church. I'll say, you know what? I'll pray about it. The Bible says, let one man prophesy and the rest judge and I'll pray about it. I'm open to it. I'm open because I'm wrong sometimes, very rarely. No, no, I'm wrong sometimes. <laughs> and so how arrogant and prideful would I be to tell someone, you can't possibly be right? So it's, it's pure and it's peaceable. It wants peace and it's gentle. It's not abrasive. It's not hard. This wisdom is pure. It's peaceable. It's gentle. And look at this. It's, it's willing to yield. If you get two people that are battling together and both of them are willing to yield, how long is that battle going to last? It's willing to yield. If the church is run by people that have the wisdom of God, they're willing to yield. If people that are in the body see something that is wrong and they're approaching leadership and they have wisdom that's from God, they're willing to yield. So how can it tear the church apart? If everybody involved in the conflict is willing to yield, boy, we ought to take this into marriage too. Couldn't this whole verse here be spoken to a husband that wants to fix something in his marriage or a wife who wants to straighten her husband out? Pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, full of mercy, full of willingness to say, oh, it's all right. You know what? I, mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is when someone's offended and you give them mercy, full of mercy. I wonder how many people have gone to a church believing God called me to this church to straighten it out. I wonder how many of them are full of mercy, just full of mercy. Good fruits, it says. That is that the results of your, your approaches would be good fruits. What are, what's good fruit going to be? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Not division, not divisions in the body, not stirring up, not hatred, not anger, not envious, not dissensions in church, you know, at each other's throat. Charles Swindoll in a book called The Body talked about a deacon's meeting in a Baptist church that ended up in a fist fight. I think it's fair to say they weren't walking in the spirit and that they didn't have the wisdom that is from above. Because if they did, it would have been good fruits. Good fruit is not fist fights. Good fruit is not screaming. Good fruit is love, being able to see things straightened out and corrected. It says without partiality. In other words, not only not without partiality towards individuals, but also without an agenda. That when you go in, you're not trying to get something your way or the way that you want it because the, the wisdom from God is pure. Where this earthly wisdom is always self-seeking. So you don't have that agenda. You aren't partial. You just want to see things done right. Maybe you identify that there's an area that could be better. And if the leadership has the wisdom of God's willing to yield and it's peaceable and there's fruit that, that, of righteousness that is there without partiality, the person coming has it, 
Well, you can see that all of this are the ingredients to something being worked out rather than some division, dissension, problem. And then it says without hypocrisy. Hey, you're going to go and you're going to talk to somebody about something? Make sure you got the thing taken care of in your own life. Don't go and talk to somebody about the way that somebody's treating somebody in the church and then you treat your wife the exact same way that you're telling the church not to treat people. Again, what we say, God judges us by because what we say comes out of our hearts. And if there's hypocrisy in your life and you begin to talk about somebody in a negative way and you're doing the very thing that you're talking to them, you're talking about that person doing, watch out because at that point you're making yourself a target for God. God says, don't be a hypocrite. Don't talk about somebody when you're doing the very same thing. Don't be judgmental because God will judge you by your words. God will say, oh, that's what you think? All right, then we'll just let you live by what you're saying. Full of mercy without hypocrisy. In verse 18, and I think that this should be the theme verse. It's the last verse, but I think it should be the theme verse for this text. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace and by those who make peace. Sown in peace, those who make peace. What's the fruit of righteousness? Peace. So there's some poor little struggle in church. Maybe it's got a pastor who is insecure in his position and, and, and rules with a heavy fist and is unwilling to yield because he feels like it gives in to his position. And you got people in the church that see him and that and see it wrong and you've got all the makings for a church that's divided and hatred and strife and Satan's got just what he wants. People in the world walk in that place and go, I don't want to be here. But if we have the wisdom that comes from above, if those in leadership have it and those in the body have it, then there's accepting. And isn't that just so much better? It's just something about, let's do it that way. And I hope as I talk about this, you haven't gotten the idea that I'm saying to you guys, don't you ever approach me. Don't you ever tell me I'm wrong. Because I really want you to approach. I want you to say, hey, I think you're doing this wrong. I'm okay with that. Our guys on staff are okay with that. I'm speaking for them now. I promise they're okay with that. We can handle it. We can say, oh, you know what? Let's look at this. Let's pray about it. Let's look at it. Maybe we are, and maybe we should yield. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that you give us this direction here in the book of James. Because what is more important in a lost, dying, and perishing world than your church that you have sent out with the keys of the kingdom? And if Satan can get into our midst and stir us up and cause us to hate one another and cause there to be dissension and problems and difficulties, then Satan will win, at least with that particular fellowship. But if we walk in harmony with one another, if we walk in one accord, if we love one another, the wisdom that is above, from above, and we are, are pure in our intents and we are not self-seeking and we are meek, peaceable, gentle, then how can we lose? How can we lose interacting with one another? And how would it be that love would not deepen in that fellowship? Let us be that fellowship. And we'll say to you again, Lord, even as we did earlier in the book of James, give us your wisdom, Lord, we need it. We recognize we don't have it. We want the wisdom that is from above. We don't want the wisdom that is earthly and sensual, that is, is destructive, self-seeking. We want the wisdom that comes from you. 
Thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.